The title of this message is The Divine Pattern. And that's the title of the first book that I wrote. And I only wrote it because I had to. Because I'm not a writer. I cannot read my own writing. But The Divine Pattern, I was president of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention Pastors Conference. And so we were supposed to write a book and it was supposed to sell a lot of copies, you know. I got news for you, I did not make the New York Times bestseller, it did not. In fact, a friend of mine was in Indiana, and he wrote me this note, and it did not encourage me. He said, about three years ago, Brother Fred, I found a copy of your book at a garage sale. (laughs) And it cost me 50 cents. So anyway, that'll humble you real quick. But you know, I call this message a divine pattern, because in the Word of God, There is a divine pattern to grow spiritually. There's a divine pattern to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's a divine pattern for for how our church to, to, to be in a position to be a vessel that God can fill it and can use it. All this is is 13 sermons that I preached in 1983. And so somebody edited it and compiled it. But anyway... Uh, I want to show you the divine pattern for victorious Christian living, the divine pattern from going to one level spiritually to the next level spiritually. And it's all found in two passages. The first one is James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Is this uh, thing not going to be on up here? This iPad, is it going to be on? Evidently not. But anyway, it's on the screen. Can y'all see it? Yeah. My problem, I can't see it. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, that this is the divine pattern. Follow it. There are three things you're going to see in it. Therefore, he says, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then you go, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. It's talking about repentance and your joy to gloom. Now listen to this one. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There are three significant words and that passage, humility, submission, and resistance. And that is the divine pattern to grow in Jesus. That's the divine pattern to experience God's presence. That's the divine pattern to experience revival. Humility, submission, and resistance. Well, that was written by James, half-brother of Jesus. Now we go to Peter over in his book, Under the Inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he didn't have James's writings, but listen to what he says in, in, in 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and, and be clothed with humility. He said, let that be your clothing. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he goes on in the next verse and says, Therefore humble yourselves, I love this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care on him, he cares for you. Be sober. That means be very, very alert. Be vigilant, aware of what's going on around you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And it goes on and says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So here in these two great passages, we see the same same things. Humility. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humility, then submission. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We see humility, submission, and then it says, uh, uh, your adversary walks about like a roaring lion, whom resist steadfast in the faith. So I'm just going to address each one of these briefly, but I'm telling you, you need to understand That if you're going to grow spiritually, if you're going to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, if you're going to be victorious in your walk with God, there has to be humility, there has to be submission, and there has to be resistance. You know, I I love what it says in James 4, 6. It says, uh, but he gives more grace. Anybody in here need more grace? (laughs) We all need more grace. Therefore, he says... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he goes down in verse 10 of James and says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Then, then in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and uh, verses 5 through 9, he says, Same thing. Uh, I, I love that verse in, in where it says, Yes, all of you be submissive to, submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, you know this matter of being grace, uh, to, uh, God giving grace to the humble, is very significant because we live in the age of grace and we need the grace of God. We need it. But let me say this. If God loves humility and esteems it, what about pride? Pride is the opposite of humility. You're either proud or you're humble. Well, you know, it's a very disturbing verse. Uh, I hope it disturbs you when it says, uh, God, God gives grace to the humble. God resists. Now get this. God resists the proud. It's one thing to be resisted by man. It is another thing to be resisted by God. Because God is constantly saying, come unto me, come unto me, come unto me, come to Jesus. But it says here, God resists the proud. Peter said it again, God resists the proud. Why? Why does he do that? Well, let me give you some verses. It says in Psalm 138, 6, the Lord, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but get this, but the proud he knows afar off. I don't want to know God afar off. I want to be close to him. But he says that God knows the proud afar off. And he says it again 
in, in, over in Proverbs 8, 13, it says, Though the Lord is, though the Lord is, high, is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows the far off. Verse 8, 10, 13. Now listen to this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But now listen to this. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. God says, I hate pride. And I hate arrogance. So obviously, this thing about humility is such a key to the, our walk with God. Because God hates pride, and he knows the proud afar off, and he resists the proud. Then in Proverbs 16, verse 5. Now, this is a pretty strong word, y'all. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Wow. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though, him, though they may join forces... They will, they will not go unpunished. And then over in verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. So we see here how God feels about pride. But then we turn and see that it was pride that caused the devil to be cast out of heaven. It was his desire to be above God and to be worshipped. And, and you will find out in our study what his position was in heaven. And he was the most powerful of all the angels, but he was cast down. But in Isaiah 14, 12 and following, it was because of pride that the devil was cast out of heaven. Listen to what it says. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground, you, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Listen to this. I will be like the Most High. He said, I'm going to exalt myself into a position that is above God. Well, but you know, where God hates pride, God loves humility. He loves it. And he esteems it. You know, Jesus said something that uh, is very interesting. In Matthew 18, 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child. You know, a little child... Uh, is not self-sufficient. A little child is dependent. A little child is, uh, does not have to have all the answers. A little child learns very quickly to trust those people that are important to him. And so humility in a child, we know what it's like to have humility in a child. And it says, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest I thought he was a preacher was the greatest, or a singer. <laughs> there who forever humbles himself as a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, it says God gives grace, undeserved love, undeserved favor. God doing for us 
what we could never do for ourselves. God gives grace to a humble man or a humble woman. He gives grace to us. Listen to what the, the Word of God said in the Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Humility and prayer are twins. And so God calls us to humble ourselves. But a few years ago, I stumbled across this verse about humility. You know, do you ever feel like God puts new verses in the Bible? He just sneaks one in. Well, I never saw that before. There's a lot I hadn't seen before. But anyway, now look at this verse, what it says about God and humility. For thus saith the high and lofty one, what a view of God. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell on high in a holy place with him who has a contrite heart, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble. You hear what God just said? I'm high and lofty. I dwell in a high and holy place, but I dwell with that person who has a humble, a broken, a humble and contrite spirit. He said, I revive the spirit of the contrite one. You say, well, Brother Fred, what, what is humility anyway? What is it? I could go into great detail, but I'm just very quickly going to tell you four things about humility. First of all, humility admits how needy it is. You know, if a person says, well, I don't, I don't need anything, that's pride. That's arrogance. The church in Laodicea, we think his sin was lukewarmness. No, it's pride. You know what it said, the church in Laodicea, the apostate church of the, the, the age in which we're living? We're rich, we're increased with goods, and we need nothing. Well, if you don't need anything, God, God's not going to give you anything. You know what humility is? You admit your need. Boy, you need God. You need his mercy. You need his grace. You need his forgiveness. You need his presence. You, you realize what a needy, needy, needy person you are. Well, Brother Fred, I'm not so needy. No, you're proud that's what you are. Because if you know how needy you are, you sure wouldn't walk in pride and arrogance. I sure wouldn't walk in it. Because we are needy people. Where would we be without the mercy of God? God not giving us what we would deserve. Where would we be without the grace of God? With God not giving us what we don't deserve and can never do for ourselves. Where would we be without the unconditional love of God that sent his son to die on the cross for our sins? So pride, so humility knows how needy it is. And humility knows only God can meet its needs. Let me tell you the thing about humility. It is not self-sufficient. It is not self-sufficient. It is God-dependent. We teach, it, teach young people today, well, you've got to be self-sufficient. You can do anything you want to do, achieve any dream you want to dream, become anything you can. And you can with the grace of God. But and let me tell you one thing. You can't, you can't do it in your own flesh and you can't do it in your own power. If you do and are proud, destruction is the end of your way. We've got to realize that pride is not, that humility is not self-sufficient. It is completely and utterly dependent 
on God. How many times have I said, I can't live the Christian life? You can't live the Christian life. But Jesus Christ lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we can live the Christian life. And it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And so I'm saying that humility realizes that it's Christ in us. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's not by our might or not by our power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So humility knows how needy it is. Humility knows it can't meet its own need. You know one thing I found out about humility? Humility is more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. Humility is more concerned about pleasing God than he is pleasing people. How many times has God spoken to you? How many times do you know the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of a dove and of a lamb, and God's told you to do something, and your first response was, well, what will they think? It's not what will they think. It's what does God think? And if you're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks, that's nothing but pride. And if you're more concerned about pleasing people than you are pleasing God, that's nothing but pride. And humility is more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks. And you know, one other thing that, uh, that really is a picture of humility. One thing I forgot to mention about pride. Pride always sees other people's sin. Pride has a poor vision for its own sin, but it always sees the sins of others and is quick to judge and to condemn. Humility, humility is just the opposite way. Humility says, sees its own sin. I'm the one, Lord. I'm the one that needs mercy. I'm the one that needs grace. I'm the one that needs to grow spiritually. I esteem my brother and sister better than myself. Oh, listen. If you, all you see is the sins of others and, and constantly are judging, hey, you, you're full of pride. But if you say, God, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, here's the second word, humility. If you're going to grow in Jesus, if you're going to have victory over the world, flesh, and the devil, if you're going to mature and become a mature follower of Christ, and Christ is going to be revealed in your life. And you're going to make a difference wherever you go. You're going to be light. And you're going to be salt. Then you've got to walk in humility. The humility of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. But the next one is the word submission. You notice that verse over in James says, uh, God, re- God uh, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. But then he says in James 4, 7, Therefore, submit to God. What part of that do I not understand? Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you realize that if you are going to have authority in this world over the world system, the flesh, and the devil, if you're going to have authority, then you have to be under authority. You see, that's the key to the whole thing. To have authority, Jesus lived on earth under the authority of his Father. What I see my Father do, I do. What I hear my Father say, I say. 
I do nothing apart from my Father. Jesus lived under authority. And so therefore, he had all the authority of God the Father. He had all of it. And so therefore, what you and I have got to realize, that if we're going to have authority, then we have to be under authority. And that means submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, uh, who does your body belong to? It belongs to Jesus. If you're a Christian, I mean, if you're saved, who does your body belong to? Romans 12 says, present your body a living sacrifice. Well, who does your, what, who does your soul belong to? Your mind, thinking, your emotions, feeling, your soul, your, your mind and emotions and will. That, that's your soul, your body, your soul, and your spirit. Well, who does your body, soul, and spirit belong to? Paul said, I pray, God, that your whole body, soul, and spirit will be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Have you yielded your body to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of your body? What you do with it? What you put into it? I just wonder. Do you say, well, my body's not important. Well, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where God lives when you're on, on this earth. Is Jesus Lord of your body? Do you realize that what you look at, what you listen to, what, you, what emotions you let into your body, it, your soul, man, it, they all affect who you are. And so what I'm simply saying is we've got to have unconditional surrender to Jesus in every area of our life. Now, we don't like that because we like to be in control. Oh, I want to be in control. I want to determine what I do with my body or my soul or my spirit. But that's, that's all wrong. I'm telling you, you, you must, your body, soul, and spirit have to be under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, he's got to be Lord of every area of your life. I read somewhere where it said that Jesus, when, he, when, you're, when you're surrendered, when he is Lord, that Jesus is not only resident in your life, he's ruler in your life. When you surrender, Jesus is not only present in your life, he's president in your life. And when you surrender, Jesus is not only your mediator, but that Jesus is your master. And when you surrender, Jesus is not only your savior, but he is your sovereign. Doesn't it, doesn't it in your spirit ring true? Here's a person who's walking in humility, total dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and their lives are submitted. They're under the authority of Jesus. Jesus Christ is their Lord. They bowed their knee and they've confessed with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. No power, no submission, no power. I'm just telling you. You have to be under the authority of the Son of God. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus the Lord of your life in the home? Have you surrendered your life to so that you could be the wife or the husband or the child that you should be? Are you under the authority of Jesus in your home? Is he Lord of your life in the home? Is he Lord of your life in the church? Is the church on the fringe of your life? And I'm not talking about just a building. I'm talking about as a body of believers. 
Is the church on the fringe of your life or is it in the center of your life? I mean, what place are you submitted to Christ to be what you, who you are in the body of Christ? Is Jesus Lord of your life in the workplace? When you go to work, does the light penetrate the darkness? When you go to work, does the salt irritate that which is ungodly? You see, Lord of our life in the home, Lord of our life in the church, Lord of our life in the world. You see, we, there, there's been a, a philosophy that we separate our lives into segments. All right, I've got my body, that's one area. I do something with that. I've got my soul, that's one area, that's, that's another. Then I've got my spirit. So we segment it. And then we say, well, now, I've got my life in the home, that's one life. But now also, I've, I've got my life in the church, that's another place. And then I've got my life in the world. Now, they separated the church and the, my life in the church and my life in the world totally different now. That, that, that's, that's my life in the church. This is my life in the world. And, and let me ask you this. Now, where is that in the Bible? Not in, anywhere in the Word of God does he say you segment your life and you, you say, well, I'm going to be in control of my life in the home and in the world and, and then I'll, I'll go to church. Let, let me give you uh, some verses. Colossians 3, 17. Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father by him. You know, I looked that verse up. Whatever. You know what that word means? Whatever. I, I mean, Lord, whatever? I thought whatever I did in church. No, no, he said, oh, no. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all. That word means all. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to the Father through him. If you can't, can't sign Jesus' name to it, then you sure ought not to do it. And there's another verse in Colossians. Whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And it goes on and says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. You want to grow as a Christian? You want to be light in a dark world? You want to be salt in a world that is decaying rapidly? You want God to use you to make an eternal difference in this world? Then I tell you, you walk before him with humility. Walk in the steps of your Savior who humbled himself and became obedient to death, the death of the cross. Then you live a surrendered life. A surrendered life. And I mean just that. You say, but Brother Fred, it's hard to give up control. But you don't know how wonderful it is for Jesus to be in control of your life. If he's in control of it, it's his responsibility. Now, Lord, you know I've got trouble in my body. And I surrendered my body to you. So you've got a problem, Lord. You've got to do something about my body. Lord, you know I've got a problem in my marriage. But I surrendered my marriage to you, Lord. And so you've got to do something about this thing because it's on the altar to you. And, and i got a trouble with my children. And, and, Lord, you know I've surrendered them to you, and I'm, I'm trying to follow your teachings. So, Lord, th those children belong to you. And so, you see, if it's surrendered to God. It's his responsibility. It's under his authority. Well, here's the last thing. And that's why, this is why we're going to study for a few months on spiritual warfare. Humility... God gives grace to the humble. Submission, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. Humility, submission, and then resistance. In James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Does it mean that? Does it mean that I actually address Satan and his demonic spirits? I address them and resist them in the name of Jesus. Submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil. Does it, did Peter, was he, did he put the, the, the cap on the bottle when he said, the de- you've got an enemy, your devil like a, the devil like a roaring lion, walks about seek, seeking whom he may harass, he may intimidate, he may oppress, he may devour, whom resist. I mean, I know what the word resist means. It means to resist. Steadfast in the faith. For the same things are accomplished in your brothers in the world. I could ask this question, and I won't, I'm going to ask you, but I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to do it. How many of you have never personally addressed the devil and his demons and resisted them? There's never been a time where you would say, Satan, I resist you and your demons from me, from my body, soul, and spirit, from my family. I resist you in the name and the power and the blood of Jesus, and I command you to leave now in Jesus' name. You will. Brother Fred, you've got to be, you've got to be a preacher to do that. Give me a break, please. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You just got to be saved. Now, I was, I, I was teaching on this at Englewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, the pastor was a, a, a Dr. Jet then, godly man, a very godly man. Well, I was speaking to his leadership, and I got to talking about this passage here of resist the devil and he will flee from you. One of the guys raised his hand and said, no, 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 no. We don't do that anymore. I said, we don't? He said, no. He said, over in the book of Jude, uh, Jude said, uh, uh, the, the, I, I, the, the angel Michael resists you. Well, in that case, okay, that's what he was supposed to do. I said, what do you do when it says to you, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. You resist. He said, well, it just doesn't mean that. Well, we didn't get anywhere with that, I want you to know. <laughs> I felt sorry for the pastor. I really did. Because I wasn't going to back down because I know what the Word of God says. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me tell you what Satan's goals are. Here it is. He works constantly. He and the third of the angels that fell from heaven with, you, with him. And we'll study in our warfare uh, preparing for battle about bad angels and good angels and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Satan and, when thir- and a third of his angels fell from heaven. Their goal is to keep people lost. They want to keep people lost. You say, he, he's not concerned about lost people. Oh, yes, he is. He wants to get you addicted to something. He's a murderer, by the way. And he's, he's a thief. He's a murderer. And he's a liar. That's exactly what he is. The Bible says he's a thief, a murderer, and a liar. So he wants to destroy you if you're lost and take you to hell with him. But, but, but uh, you've got to understand, his, one of his strategies is to keep a person lost. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. If the gospel is veiled, they don't understand it. It is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this world has blinded. 
who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should sign them unto them. Do you know what that just said? That Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he died on the cross for their sins, and God raised him from the dead, and he has power to save and power to deliver. He, the devil doesn't want them to know that. So he's blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel. The Holy Spirit, when the word of God is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, it can break through the darkness, and the light can shine to an unbeliever. But I want you to know, Satan's mission is to keep people who are lost, to keep them lost, to keep them blinded, to get them out of control in areas of their life. The second plan of the devil is, is to keep Christians from becoming mature and being what God wants them to be. You know, you know if you're saved, you have a target on your back. The enemy has a target on your back. He probably has a demonic spirit assigned to harass you and oppress you. And I'm telling you, he wants to stop you from becoming everything that Jesus is in you. He wants to stop you from becoming the man or woman of God that God has the plan for your life. You know, the Bible says that he accuses the brother, brethren. He accuses not the lost people. He blinds them. But he accuses the Christians day and night. Look in, in Rev Revelation 12:10. Then I heard a loud voice saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Did you know that uh, some demonic spirit, the devil or some demonic spirit, accuses you before God day and night? night. You mean, Brother Fred, I thought, I'm not important. I'm just a Christian. What do you mean, just a Christian? You're in the army of the Lord. You're a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're in the battle. And I guarantee you, he wants to nullify your witness. He wants to keep you from being what God plans for you to be. It's, and, and how did they overcome him? Look at the next verse. And they overcame him, the devil and the demons, by the blood of the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect sacrifice. It is finished. I have overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Jesus is Lord, and they love not their lives to death. So his, his commitment is to keep you from being what God wants you to be. Let me give you a couple of verses, and I'll be through. I was raised in a Baptist church, and I'm by conviction. I like it because we have the priesthood of the believer, and we have the Baptist faith and message, and there's nothing in there that I disagree with. It's, raw, it's true to the word, true to the word. So I, I'm, I'm not out trying to find some new doctrine or something. I'm perfectly satisfied with what I believe and just happens to be in that chain of thought. But I never hear much about this in Baptist churches. It says, finally, my brethren, Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Does he really mean that? Sounds like we're in a battle. Sounds like we're in a war. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand 
against the schemes of the devil. He said, he's got plans for you. (laughs) Did you know that? He has plans for you. He has schemes to use against you. For we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The word wrestle there is hand-to-hand combat. We're not in hand-to-hand combat with human beings. We're not in hand-to-hand combat with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Lord, have mercy. That, that, that's a, ten worst, the big most worst list there is. Principalities, powers, wicked spirits, rulers of the darkness of this world. Man, that, that's quite an enemy. So he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Put on all of God's armor. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You're supposed to stand, folks. And by the way, we have armor for the front, but there's no armor for the back. Because the Christian's never supposed to run. Christian's supposed to stand. And you put on the armor of God that you may withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Satan and his demons are defeated foe. They, they, Satan knows where he's going. He's going to the lake of fire. Every demon that followed him from heaven, a third of them, is headed for the lake of fire. That's where they're going. And they will be bound and tormented forever. And they want to take as many people as they can with them to the place called hell. And he wants to stop as many Christians as he can from being light and salt and a witness in a dark world. But I want you to know that just that this will be the theme of our, our study. And, and it's a great picture that we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 17. Now listen to this. I want you to get the thrust and then see where you are. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want the spirit of God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will really know God. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Now listen to this. You may know what is the hope of your calling. Why did Jesus save you? What was his purpose in saving you? That you might know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you. You are part of his inheritance, a part of the bride of Christ. And look at the next verse. And boy, this is what we need to learn. I'm praying that you'll know the exceeding greatness of his power. Wait a minute now. He's piling superlatives. I want you to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Do you know the exceeding greatness of God's power toward you and the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him? Jesus is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. So today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's in us by the Holy Spirit. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of of power and authority. You say, well, what has that got to do with me? Because that's where you are too. You go over in chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. Listen, this will almost make you shout. I'm telling you right now. But God who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad God is rich in mercy? Boy, I am. Woo! He's not about to run out, thank God. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. 
with which he loved us. Can I just stop there and say praise the Lord? His great love with which he loved you. The devil's told you that God doesn't love you, that you messed up and and God's based on your performance. He's a liar. I am telling you, God loves you with a great love. And you need to know his love and says that loved us with such great love that even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ for you have been saved. Then here's what I love. He raised us up together. All right, he, he made us alive. And I got this picture. And he raised us up together and made us, to, to, raised us up together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God, Jesus is seated at the right hand with victory over all the enemy. And so when you got saved in his great love, he raised you up. He raised you up. And he seated you with Jesus in the heavenly places. Now you've got to understand all principalities, powers, wicked spirits, rulers of the darkness of this world are under the feet of Jesus. And so he raised us up and seated us with Jesus. And everything that's under Jesus' feet is under our feet. Now listen to me. If principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness are under the feet of Jesus and you're seated with Jesus, why do you let him kick you around like a football all the time? Why do you do that? You don't have to. He knows he's defeated. Some of us don't know. (laughs) And I'm telling you, he has to obey the Son of God. And I guarantee you, you're seated with Jesus, and you're you're, under his authority, you're submitted. You're humble, and you're submitted, and you're seated with Jesus, and everything that's under his feet is under your feet, and therefore you have authority over them, and you can command them to leave your presence, every demon spirit, with the, by the blood of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb, and they have to leave. All right. I want to close with this story. This was, you wonder where the Bible got some of the, the writers they wrote in, in, the, in the day in which they lived. Uh, uh, many years ago, I went to the Holy Land. I think I've been two or three times. I lost count. But um, on this trip, we went to Athens. And then we went by boat. I thought it was going to be a ship, but it looked like a boat to me. We went by ship to, to Egypt, and we sailed into the harbor of Cairo, Egypt. And one of the places we visited in Cairo was the Egyptian Museum. Now, let me tell you something. If it's a museum in Egypt, it's some old things in that museum. My Lord, you can't get no older than that. I never will forget we walked about 10 feet and here was a mummy laying there in a, in a glass cage. And I looked and said, my Lord, a live mummy. They said, it's not alive, it's dead. <laughs> well, I meant it wasn't a fake. Like, you know, there wasn't a, a, a made out of cloth and plastic. It was, it was real flesh, it was flesh and bones. And uh, so we went on and I, I never will forget this. We came to a big statue of one of the pharaohs. And I looked at him. Though he was majestic. And a picture of power. And as I looked down. I noticed. There were all kind of bodies. Laying at his feet. Laying at his feet. And I looked to the God. I said. What's that? When a pharaoh won the victory. Over his enemy. 
then they would lay him at they them at his feet. And it would be a picture that he had won and he had vanquished them. And I said, My Lord, I know a king. Hallelujah. I know a king who defeated all principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, and they all are under his feet right now. Woo, glory to God. And I said, praise God, if they're under his feet, they're under my feet, and the devil's not going to kick me around like a football the rest of my life. I'm going to tell him in the name of Jesus and with his power, you go where Jesus tells you to go, and you can go to hell. You said, Brother Fred, that ain't it. Well, I'm just telling you, that's where he's going. You just remind him of it. It's all you do. Humility, submission, and resistance. That is the divine pattern for your daily walk with God.